Good morning. I'm reading this morning from Psalm 55. I'm reading in the um, ESV version. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruins is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. We walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their heart. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O oh God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. This is the word of the Lord. May the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in God's sight today. This is a, a one-off message out of the Psalms because we're in between preaching series right now. Uh, we came out of uh, a series on meditating on Advent and Christmas carols and uh, we're going to start Ephesians. Uh, we're going to work through the book, the letter of Ephesians through the winter and into the spring. So. That's just a heads up for you if you're interested start reading the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. We're just going to stop and focus on a psalm today because the psalms, as you know, uh, we, we often stop and pause over the psalms as a church because the psalms help us stop and reflect. That's what they're for. They teach people of faith how to pray and how to meditate on God's truth. The, Bible, the, the, the Bible's songbook is the Psalms. And the Psalms are also like the Bible's prayer journal. 
So we focus on it every once in a while. And look, as you look at Psalm 55, and you listen to David's complaint, this is David the king, you listen to his complaint and all of his lamenting in this psalm, you may be thinking, oh, blah, 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 David. We have heard this again and again and again from you. Let's hear something else from David, the psalm writer. It's a good point because it's true. When you read through most of the 50s, this is a series of psalms that are biographical. They somehow point to different aspects in David's life that were great times of adversity, times of great adversity. So if you read these psalms all in a row, roughly in the 50s, you get tired of hearing David lament and complain to God. But there's something interesting about Psalm 55. Listen to this very particular type of hardship that David was expressing through song, through poetry 3,000 years ago, and try and figure out why this is a human experience that is universal to us all. He says particularly, in ver- beginning in verse 12, for it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who deals insolent with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. I'd like to talk today about how we pray when we feel betrayed. How we feel when we feel how we feel when we are betrayed. Et tu, Brute, you too, Brutus. Right? Betrayal is all around us. It's, it's, um, it's not just in the houses of Congress, as we've seen unfold before us in the last week. It's not just in the mafia, where people have to keep their friends close and their enemies closer. We've all experienced betrayal. You saw uh, just earlier, how many people raised their hand when, when Avery was talking to the kids? We've all been betrayed in some way. Whether you were unable to rely on one of your parents growing up, or, or whether a friend, a good friend at school, turned on you and deserted you. Whether you were disappointed by a relative of yours, whether you were undermined by a coworker or an employee. Whether when you were little, your pastor doused you with cold water one Sunday morning. We've all been betrayed in some sort of way. Anytime you discover that you cannot trust a person whom you thought you could, you've been betrayed. Can you relate to that? That's betrayal. And it hurts, right? Hurts. Betrayal cannot, however separate you from a God who is faithful, from a God who stands by you. Betrayal can't separate us from God's faithfulness to stand by us. And for the Christian, for the one who loves God and follows his son Jesus Christ, he sustains us when we've been betrayed and when we feel betrayed. He sustains us and we can trust in him. And actually we can come to know him better even in betrayal, especially at times when we feel betrayed or abandoned, we can know our God better. When we've been betrayed, he sustains us, we can trust in him, and we actually can know him better. So according to David, we're sustained by God through betrayal. David believed that. The psalm is evidence. Psalm 55 is evidence of that. 
When I say betrayal, what do you think of? What does it bring out in you? How do you feel when you're betrayed? For me, I thought about it. My emotions, the emotions that come to mind for me when I think of betrayal is surprise. I always start with surprise, and then I go to anger very quickly. <laughs> I go from surprise to anger and then to grief. The grief is the thing that lingers the longest for me. I don't know about you, but what type of emotions come about for you when you think of betrayal? David said in verses 20 and 21, my companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. This really gets to the heart of what betrayal is, and you understand it. A person speaks like a friend, but they plot like an enemy. Because talk is cheap, right? Anybody can say, I support you. I believe in you. I like you. I agree with you. I think you're right. I'll be there when you need me. Anyone can say that talk is cheap. You can't always know who's your friend until a person acts, right? And then you know. When the risk increases, when the cost to their, their person increases, when the crowd is watching, now what do they do? That's betrayal. And I can relate to it being in ministry for many years. Actually, if you've been in any type of leadership position, you, you can relate to the experience of learning who is your true friend. A true friend loves you even when they don't like the decisions you've made. But your so-called friends will desert you, they will attack you, and they will abandon you when they are disappointed in the decisions you have made. Even the Apostle Paul, much later than David, in all of his missionary journeys near the end of his life, Paul expressed the emotions of feeling betrayed and abandoned. He was writing to his young friend Timothy. This is his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4. Scholars believe it was near the end of Paul's life. He was probably waiting for his execution. He's in Rome under house arrest, most likely. And, and in under house arrest, knowing he is facing his own death for being a Christian, he writes to his friend Timothy, Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia, Luke alone is with me. He even wrote, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. We have so much respect and admiration for the Apostle Paul. But Paul was basically alone near the end of his life, in prison, and most of the people that associated themselves with him were not there for him. He names one. So Paul, and then David long before Paul, and even us, right? Let's be honest. Betrayal is personal. You can say it. You can believe it. Betrayal is personal. It's like that, that's like that uh, movie, You've Got Mail, right? When he says to her, yeah, sorry about putting you out of business. It, you know, it wasn't personal, it was just business. She's like, stop saying that. It wasn't personal for you. It was personal for me. 
People can say it's just business, but for you, it's personal, right? Betrayal is personal. Abandonment is personal. It's okay to feel that way. David clearly does. And I think because, I think the essence of betrayal is dishonesty. It's duplicity. You discover that what you have seen is really not what you have gotten. The essence of betrayal is dishonesty, and dishonesty destroys the fabric of trust between people. And when we cannot trust one another, when you cannot trust that person, in a way you feel alone. That's the impact of betrayal upon us all. And how do we recover from that? How does anybody recover from that? I mean, how do you deal with it in the first place? Because that seems to be David's predicament. He's in the middle of it. And he has a lot of responsibility because it not only affects him, it affects everybody around him and everybody he had to lead and everybody he was in charge with, in charge of. So when you discover you've been betrayed, how do you in the first place just deal with it in that moment? Well, David wrestling through it prayed in verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. How do you deal with betrayal at first? Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. David did not say, cast your burden on the Lord and he will fix the problem quickly and erase all the ramifications. He didn't say that. He said, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. The old Hebrew word for sustain throughout the Old Testament, it meant to nourish a person. It meant to provide for somebody else. And that's what David is saying. He's preaching to us in the middle of his own prayer, God may not remove you from the situation and God may not remove the betrayer from the situation, but he will sustain you through it. God will nourish you through it. And once you believe that, once you believe that God will sustain you through the circumstance as you are feeling the result of betrayal as a bomb in your lap, because that's how David describes it in this psalm, people heaping trouble on his lap. As you wrestle with that, if you believe that God will sustain you through it, well, now you have a trust alternative that counterbalances feeling betrayed by the person you can no longer trust. Now you have a place to put your trust. You have an object of trust. Quite simply, David says we can trust in God while we are being betrayed and while we are wrestling with the reality that, yes, we have been betrayed. He simply says in verse 23, but I will trust in you. He ends the psalm that way. He ends it by saying, but I will trust in you. And you know what? That's not a platitude. Ah, oh, just trust in God. I know people have said that to you at times and you wanted to slap them in the face because it felt like a platitude. But this is not a platitude. It's not a moralistic sentimentalism. It's more than just wishing good thoughts on, on someone. Put your trust in the Lord. No, he's serious. It's practical. It involves action. Watch, in two ways. I'm going to show you two ways that for David, putting his trust in the Lord was an action thing. It was active. Look at verse 9. He says, destroy, O Lord. The word for destroy, it also means to confuse. Destroy, O Lord. Divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. And David's recalling 
in, 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 in ancient times, in almost prehistoric times, when, when God disrupted the work of the Tower, the Tower of Babel by confusing everybody's language there. He divided their tongues. He divided their languages so that they couldn't conspire together. David's essentially saying to God, hey, would you please disrupt the anthill so that they can't work together? You ever step on an anthill? I'm not suggesting it. But they scatter. And David's saying, Lord, you need to cause them to scatter. Break it up. Make it impossible for them to do what they're trying to do. So for David, it's more than a lament. And it's more than a cry for help. It's all of that, but it's strategic, you see. He's saying, God, I don't know what to do. You disrupt it. You get into their planning and you divide it. But this is the second way that this is an action thing for David. He says in verses 16 and 17, he's, again, he's lamenting, and then he says, but I call to God and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. You see that? Evening and morning and noon. Remember, for, for the ancient Jews, the day started at sun, sundown. Evening and morning and noon. Three times a day, he brings his request. It's a moan. He brings it to God. You see the rhythm in that? At least three times a day, David kept in touch with God. That's praying through betrayal or anything for that matter, but he kept up this rhythm of being in touch with God, praying through his emotions, praying through the way he felt. And so the simple takeaway today is, hey, you've been betrayed, or are you remembering a time when you were betrayed? Voice your disappointment to God. Moan to him. Complain to him. Let up your lament to him. But then put your trust in his trustworthiness. Right? Because that's the faith part. You, faith is not just moaning to God. It is also actually actively putting your trust in him, asking him to be strategic in the situation and being consistent, evening and morning and noon, returning to him in prayer. That is praying through our betrayal. And you know what the Apostle Paul said to his friend Timothy, talking about all of that betrayal and abandonment that he faced in prison? He then said, but the Lord stood by me and strengthen me. Sometimes that's all you have. I'm sorry. That's, I actually think that's the best thing, but it's the truth. Sometimes that's all you have. You have no one to rely on, and you have to say, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. And don't underestimate the efficacy, the effective nature and power of prayer. I'm serious. Why? Not, prayer isn't some kind of magic it's who you're praying to. It's the object of the one to whom you're praying. The proof of God's trustworthiness, according to Psalm 55, is that he hears you. That's why he's trustworthy. Because he's a God who listens to your complaint. What he does with your complaint is his business. But he listens. And therefore, he is trustworthy, David says. Why pray when you feel you're betrayed. Why pray three times a day, at least for David? I'm not trying to be legalistic and saying you got to pray three. You should be praying once an hour at least. I, I do. Why pray when we're feeling betrayed? Because it guards you from a poor response to the situation. It guards you. That keeping in touch with God through your betrayal 
through your anger and surprise and grief. It guards you from an unwise, rash, sinful response. Be warned now against doing what is easiest or doing what is most satisfying. That's what we tend to do. What is easy? What is satisfying when we feel betrayed? David admitted it. Verse 6. Oh, that I wish I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Lord, take me out of this. Get me as far away from it as possible. Right? Put silent mode on my phone. I don't want to be here. I don't want to see them again. I don't want to have to deal with this. I mean, that's what we want. Naturally, we want to escape the situation. David did. But as David reveals, that's not always an option. Escape is not always an option. Look at verse 14. He says, we used to take sweet counsel together. He's talking about the betrayer. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. You realize what's happening here? They used to worship together. He's saying, this is someone I used to go to church. I mean, in our language, this is someone David used to go to church with. This is the person who's his betrayer. This is the person that dropped a bomb in his lap, who's conspiring against him. This is his headache to deal with and to try and manage. This is what he cannot fix. Somebody he used to go to church with has betrayed him. Do you not feel that? A fellow worshiper. Sometimes the people who hurt us are not people that we can write out of our lives. They're around. They may even have a right to be around. They may even have good reason to be around. And we can't just write them off and we can't just go to another continent. We're in the midst of the situation just like David was. Now, if you're not a Christian, I'll bet you have figured out how to deal with betrayal. For instance, maybe you've learned how to escape the person or the situation because that's easy. Escape, denial, that's the easiest thing to do, and maybe that's been your MO. Or maybe you've learned how to repay, to take retribution, to pay back, to make it worse for them because that's the most satisfying. We cope with betrayal by looking into what is most satisfying or what is the easiest thing to do. But a man named Mark Buchanan, who wrote a book about resting in God, actually said, once we begin to flee the things that threaten and burden us, there is no end to fleeing. God's solution is surprising. He offers rest, but it's a unique form of rest. It's to rest in Him in the midst of our threats and our burdens. Now, for Christians, we do the same thing, newsflash. We escape or pay back. We pick what's easy and we pick what's most satisfying to us in the moment. But for, if you're a Christian, we have to wrestle with this and ask ourselves, will our faith and will our theology prove practical when we're betrayed? We talk about, as a church, we talk about practical theology, what you believe becoming real and lived out in your life. Betrayal is a great way to develop a practical theology. 
If you believe in a forgiving God, how do you act when you know you've been betrayed? If you believe in a patient God, how do you act when you've been betrayed? If you believe in a sovereign God, in a God who enacts his providence upon history and people and creatures to accomplish his purposes, if you believe in a God who is never guilty of sin, although we sin, how do you behave when you realize you've been betrayed? If our theology isn't practical, if our faith does not have feet, does not have fruit, then we're no better. We're no better than people who have just figured out by life how to escape or how to repay. It's hypocrisy to not rest in God's trustworthiness. And we come to know him better if we will trust in him. We come to know him better actually through our betrayal. This is the ironic part. This is the counterintuitive part about Christianity and biblical faith that David understood even in the midst of his lament and his cry. It's that especially in betrayal, we come to know God better. And I'll give you two reasons why. God's Son, Jesus Christ, was also betrayed. When Judas conspired against him, Judas, who was with him all that time, Judas, Judas who handled the money. I mean, you know, he was, he was probably, you know, he'd be like our accountant today, you know? Like, you, the people who handle the money in a nonprofit organization, we trust them more than any of them, right? We trust them more than anybody. The guy who handled the money was the one who betrayed him. The guy on paper who was probably certified you know, cleared and held accountable the most is the one who ended up betraying him in the end. And, and then there's Peter, right? Everybody deserted him. Even the people who loved him deserted him. Even Peter, right, who had just promised hours before, I'll never, right, I'll never deny you. Peter did exactly that. And so Jesus Christ draws close to us as a friend who understands the grief of feeling betrayed. You've been betrayed. The Lord Jesus knows. He relates to you, sits down right next to you and goes, I know. It stinks. I know. So we come to know him better as we discover that he knows us better than we know ourselves, especially in betrayal. But there's another way that we come to know God better through betrayal is that we have betrayed him. This is the most ironic part. We come to know God better when we discover that we've betrayed him. Like Judas, like Peter. Like the, like, like the hymn, as we sing with that old hymn, I crucified thee. I crucified thee, Lord Jesus. David, the one who was betrayed here, had earlier betrayed Uriah, his trusted warrior, his captain, upright Uriah, the Hittite, not even originally a member of Israel, but one of David's faithful warriors and leaders. David stole his wife, David lied all about it, and he plotted to have Uriah murdered. You know, what goes around comes around. 
I'm not putting any blame on you, but when you think about it, you know, when I think of who's betrayed me or abandoned me, and there are plenty of people, if I stop, I start thinking about the people I've betrayed and abandoned. We've all done it. Not to take anything away from what you've gone through, because you've probably gone through a lot, and I would never diminish that. But you come to know God better in your betrayal when you remember, ah, I crucified thee, Lord Jesus. It was my sin. It was my acts of abandonment and betrayal to you, to my heavenly Father that put Jesus, his son, on the cross. But this is when we draw close to him in trustworthiness. When we realize in that moment that we have also betrayed him, we look at how he responded. With David, right? The way God responded to David is the way Jesus responds to us. God did not do what was easiest. God did not do what was most satisfying for his justice. He forgave David. And he'll forgive you. He has forgiven you. Christian faith, the faith the Bible talks about, is essentially knowing two things. One, I have betrayed my Lord. Two, but the Lord stood by me. That's Christian faith in a nutshell. When we are betrayed, we come to know God better because Jesus sympathizes with us in having been betrayed and because Jesus has forgiven our betraying him. So betrayal cannot separate you from a God who is faithful to stand by you. When, when the untrustworthy tendencies of the people in your life emerge, you know, when, when they come out finally to hurt you and surprise you and grieve you and anger you, when that happens and those people surprise you and humiliate you and disenfranchise you, or when you're the betrayer, you've surprised yourself, you've embarrassed yourself, you've let yourself down, right? Either way, voice your disappointment to God. Just tell him, but trust in his trustworthiness. You know the old song from the 60s, Stand By Me? Well, just use it. I mean, evening, morning, and noon. David is coming to God saying, stand by me. That's really a life of prayer through our betrayal. We are singing out to God again and again, stand by me. Let's pray. Or Father, when troubles have come and when the landscape uh, in, 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 in our relationships and in our work and ministry is dark, you know, uh, when there seems to be very little light or hope or things to encourage us, we ask for your presence. We ask indeed, as David discovered and as Paul discovered, that you would stand by us. Thank you, Jesus, for telling us that until you return, you were with us to the very end of the age. Thank you for reminding us through your servant Joshua that you will never leave us or forsake us. 
Father, we confess to you that we have been betrayed in this life and we confess to you that we have betrayed others. And we praise you for the blood of Jesus Christ that covers our sins and the sins committed against us. And may we draw close to him and rely upon his trustworthiness. And may we come even in our trials and abandonments to know him better. Amen.